Hey everyone, it's Pineapple. Just a quick note before we start the episode, this episode contains some not-so-nice four-letter words in it. We've bleeped them out, so if you hear this sound, that means it was bleeped. In the context of the sentences, it may be obvious what was said, so if you have kids, you may want to listen to this episode without them. Enjoy the show! Before we started the show, I just wanted to say that we're back. It's been a while since Radio and I have released an episode, and there have been several personal reasons for both of us that have led to that, unfortunately. But we're kind of getting back to the new normal that is essentially living life in 2020 and onward, and we will be releasing several episodes to continue and end off season two. Heads up on this episode, we recorded it back in January of 2020. Uh, Nothing is particularly time sensitive, but I just wanted to let you know, and I hope you enjoy. All right, so welcome everyone back to um, Wholesome Transmissions. Um, Again, we're back with our our second season called uh, Therapy Sessions, where we kind of talk about the struggles and difficulties of our guest lives as we sort of also talk about normal subjects of kind of video games and esports and how those uh, subjects impact people. And today our guest is Sol from Noble Esports. Um, Sol, um, he was the ranked um, number one competitive Little Mac player for Super Smash Bros for the Wii U, um, as we'll probably refer to this in the podcast Smash 4 from the years 2015 to 2017. He's a Twitch partner. Um, he's whole, he holds, I think, one or two or multiple world records for damageless runs of Cuphead. And he was the Arm Saga champion in 2017. Um, so one of the things that's really always stood out to me about Soul is not only is he really a savant when it comes to delving into new games and mastering a large variety of different video games, um, but he really has a, a credible, uplifting and positive outlook towards competitive gaming and also treating others. Um, and we're just really glad to have Soul on the show. He's been someone that I've personally looked up to for a long time. So Soul, um, thank you so much for coming on to our show and supporting us. And we're really glad to um, you know, talk to you today. I mean, it's a pleasure to be here, and I really appreciate those kind words, although you might be giving me a little bit more credit than is due. I mean, I can be positive and uplifting, but I'd like to think I can be pragmatic at the same time. Well, you know, it's it's a mixed bag. I think in any in in life, I mean, I think the thing is, is that at the end of the day, um, you are very respectful and caring towards people. And even though you might have some. I don't know, harsh stances or the way you might come across as <laughs> I was going to say, depends, depends on the people <laughs> and the stances, right? Well, I'm, I'm even, very, <laughs> I, I, I also have been, I suppose in my own ways, inflammatory in the past. I just, I don't like painting the image of me being a perfect person. I'm a flawed person trying to be a good person. Exactly. You know what I mean, 
Yeah. And no one's perfect. And I think that I think that the fact that you always try, given what has happened to you in life is is one of the best, you know, best things that I see um, about how you handle it. Um, so and I guess starting out, you know, I wanted to ask you because, you know, between Cuphead World Records and branching out into, you know, I remember I saw you winning some chess tournaments as well yeah, as. Yeah, yeah playing a lot of Pokemon recently. I mean, yep. you've been doing a, a lot since you were playing Smash competitively. So how has it been for you kind of delving into these games and, you know, exploring other things other than the competitive fighting game scene? Well, to be fair, too, um, that's really nothing different than what I've been doing my entire life. You know, I've, I've loved gaming since I was a young child. Um, mm -hmm. Ever since I, I taught myself to play on the Super Nintendo. By the way, taught myself to play the wrong way. Fun little side fact. Uh, upside down. <laughs> I I still to this day when I play the Super Nintendo I hold the controller upside down because it's that, just, just that your first in. gaming system that you played that was that was the first one that I owned anyhow like I, I I'm 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 old so like I dabbled <laughs> in Atari and stuff too but like mm -hmm. Punch Out was actually one of the first games I played back on on NES as well the yeah. the Super Nintendo was the first one that was actually mine though as a child yeah that's funny but. <clears throat> But I'm sorry, what was the question I, I, I got? I, I detracted. <laughs> That's a problem. Just sort of, I mean, I think Smash 4 was obviously such a huge part of your, your life. And it really, yeah, you know, it it introduced you so much. So how kind of has it been delving into these other communities and getting involved in other scenes outside of that, you know? Well, um, you know, that's been that's been really interesting as a whole. I I think I've learned a lot, especially uh, that... Uh, for better or worse, I've learned that the Smash scene definitely does have some of the flaws that I, I thought it did, but mm -hmm. that, you know, that never necessarily pushed me away from loving the people inside of the Smash scene so much as just not being uh, as fond of the dramatic culture surrounding it. Yeah. But like moving over into like Mortal Kombat 11 uh, mm -hmm. and getting to know some of the top players in that scene and seeing how the community acts and acts towards one another and treats each other, you know, it's also not without its own dramas, but it's, it's, it's good. The FGC as a whole, has been good to me. Arms was probably my favorite community, actually, as a side note, because just <laughs> everyone there is so d wholesome. It's crazy, and yeah. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a real journey, just kind of exploring these different communities. I've been playing Pokemon forever. Uh, everyone in that community, in some way or another, is just a huge nerd, bit of an outcast. It's great. <laughs> you, you gotta love it. I mean, it's it's great. It's um, kinship, you know. At least that's yeah. the way I've always felt. Oh yeah, but, and um, I know. I know you've been, I mean, streaming a lot of Pokemon recently and getting yeah. really, I mean, it seems like you've delved pretty hard into the, the video game uh, community there. I'm definitely not above like a deep mechanical dive or like doing exact EV distributions to deal with certain meta threats. And I, I enjoy, I enjoy the nitty gritty. And the reason that you find me in so many different games and genres in the first place is that mm -hmm. my real passion isn't even just smash or arms or Pokemon. My passion is game design, but I don't, I don't find the notion of actually writing code to be very like fun or invigorating. Mm -hmm. And so the way I break down game design is by challenging it and yeah. trying to uh, optimize within it. That makes Definitely. sense. Oh, I think that makes a lot of sense because I mean, I, I saw you do that, you know, watching a lot of your uh, Cuphead streams and seeing you approach pretty much any video game is I can see when I watch you play it is that your mind is going through a bunch of different layers of breaking down like every mechanical component of that game and trying to figure out how you can optimize it as best as possible. Um, yeah. Either in terms of time commitment, in terms of being able to get 
uh, skill at the game as fast as possible. Um, I could see those those mechanics going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's all like you said, there's always several layers, and and the biggest thing for me, I guess, is that I enjoy, like I said, delving into that and understanding it, and then performing well becomes proof of that understanding, mm-hmm. and and that's just something that I'll continue to appreciate. I think in gaming as a whole. So in recent years, then, one of the topics that we kind of talk about, especially in the the first half of our show, is delving into video games that people have really enjoyed or some of their top video games. And and for for asking you, I was curious, over the maybe past three to four years, what video games then that you've either played or seen do you think have kind of pushed the limits or, or delved into new areas in terms of game design that you've really appreciated? Um, Chrono Trigger was revolutionary for its time. I think that's mm-hmm. where I usually start with like actually expanding, in, in this case, what an RPG was to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the multiple endings and just the way that you can kind of approach the game and just the sheer length and depth. And, uh, hell, they, uh, it's, it's a 20-year-old spoiler, but they, they kill the main protagonist halfway through and maybe <laughs> you never get him back and that's fine. You know what yeah. I mean? That's, yeah. that's, they did a lot of things that were highly unconventional. And, uh, and even down to uh, an option for a real-time combat system inside of a turn-based combat system, which was uh, fantastic. Um, so I, I think I always start with Chrono Trigger when I talk about games that like shifted or, I guess, raised the bar on what it meant to be um, a game of its own genre. Yeah. In this case, RPGs. Chrono Trigger was like the first JRPG that I ever played, and it was... It was when I was 11 or so, and it was at my my friend's house, um, who's now my brother-in-law, actually. <laughs> that's that's um, funny. Congratulations yeah, to him. Yeah, thank you. Um, but yeah, I was over at their house, my you know my wife's uh, house when I was younger, that I first saw Chrono Trigger, and I just thought, this is like, this is so crazy. Like, it has, it's just such level of polish and design and well-thought mechanics that I had never seen at the time and didn't realize could be done in a video game. <laughs> I was I was young and, and and somebody was was um emulating it right mm-hmm. at their house and I thought that was wizardry <laughs> like, just because <laughs> they were they were playing all of these Japanese games that I'd never seen they had they had like a DBZ uh, RPG that ended with um sorry we have a lot of acronyms coming in don't we anyhow yeah, they, okay. they had a DBZ RPG coming in um that ended on the Frieza saga you know uh yeah. like that like because that's where the that's where the mainstream anime was at the point mm-hmm. and um it was just it was it was interesting it was interesting to, to be sure it, it took uh, for me uh to continue on in the tangent bit that's it okay. took another 15 10 15 years something in that ballpark uh to knock yeah probably like 10 to knock that off the shelf for me as my favorite game of all time. And, and, and the, mm-hmm. the game that finally dethroned it into a second was Dark Souls. I, I, I had played Demon Souls before that and enjoyed it, but Dark Souls really, uh, the, the thing that pushed Dark Souls for me and what I thought was so revolutionary about the game, outside of the fact that it was in an era, in an, like after an era of difficult games, transitioning into an era of easy games, uh, mm-hmm. you know, simple games, um, games that you were effectively guaranteed to complete if you just put the time in. Dark Souls 1, in its time, dared to stand up and say, no, you have to work for this, and mm-hmm. there are no guarantees. And that was bold, and that was something that they thought it was going to fail on, 
And it, in fact, became the entire premise of the series was that push for like the thing I enjoyed about Dark Souls was you came out of it a better gamer. You came out of it a better player and you came out of it just a little bit smarter and more aware in how to handle like these challenging puzzles and ideas. And it was something that the game, the game pushed the player instead of the player just running through the game. And I thought yeah. that that was fantastic. And another thing that they did that was so phenomenal was their map design. I think that has to be the first time I've seen a map. That, that's the highest grade I could it's, ever give for map design is Dark Souls 1. It's crazy. I mean, for any listeners who may, I mean, I think most people have understand what Dark Souls is, but the map design in Dark Souls was really like sprawling in the sense of areas opened up over time that led to shortcuts, that led to the entire map as a whole, even though it was went from being underground to above ground and all these other places, eventually things got really close as you progress in the game and you kind of understood how everything interconnected and interlocked. Yes, in the entirety, and so in the entirety of that interconnection too. If you, when you came in, if you could see it, you could go to it. Yeah, and that was incredible, and you could go to it without transitions, without these loading screens. It was there in real space with you, and that was something that was effectively almost unprecedented for a game of that size. Yeah, I would say, like for the sheer breadth of land space and uh zones that was incredible how they interconnected everything and built such a fluid uh game from that structure and then i mean in in more recent years has anything has anything else stood out i mean i know i've seen you also stream and play like a number of roguelikes and i was kind of curious if you had any roguelike enter the gungeon Sorry for interrupting you, uh, That's okay. I, but just ha- hands down, <laughs> I think for me, I, this is something because it's it's my favorite genre, actually, is roguelike. um, roguelikes and bullet hells, to be fair. OK, um, so I'm sure maybe some of the people at home don't you mean roguelites and, and, and yes, yeah. but no, I really do mean more roguelikes, which is a slightly different just for those at home. It's a slightly different. Um, Why don't you break it down for people? Well, I'm just going to say look it up in your own time, really. But basically, rogue likes are based off of uh, the game Rogue, mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 rogue likes are they they borrow elements from it, but it's it's it, they slightly defer and they tend to be more action based for starters. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason I appreciate that inclusion of action is because, like I said, my second favorite genre um, is bullet health. So um, Toho, for example, I even have some old YouTube footage of me playing some of that on, on uh, lunatic mode. It's really fun. Great game. I, um, Fury was another great game that did incredible things, by the way, as a side note. But, but back to Enter the Gungeon, so, because I'm a little ADHD and I, I scatter uh, popcorn thoughts a million <laughs> times a minute. Enter the Gungeon was the uh, best roguelike that I, I ever played. Mm-hmm. I think that it is phenomenal. They continue to release... Uh, content after content to this day um i've probably put in over 500 hours in that game and still not seen everything in it and still not seen everything in it and every run still feels different that's crazy and they're they're even releasing uh i think more for it soon for free and then just calling it a day that's crazy yeah i mean and anyone listening enter the gungeon is a roguelike game where it's top down like shooter um with sort of dual joystick controls and I've played Enter the Gungeon, and I kind of agree that roguelikes and roguelite games are my favorite genre, especially more recently, because 
my time is more limited. I don't necessarily have as much time to game. And I like the idea of being able to come back to something and feel like I've played a complete game if I only have an hour or so. Yeah, and you've had also, like a round. Exactly. You have a round of it. And then you also get kind of this added benefit of over time, you get so good at the skill of the game and you understand more of the intricacies and you can go further or do better each run. And that's just such a enjoyable experience and sort of mastering it almost like a craft. And then I guess if I had to add any other games to that table right now, I think the, I think another game that really stuck with me that doesn't fit under um, this one flies under a lot of uh, people's radars because it's not a video game. It's just a game. Uh, Blood Bowl. Blood Bowl oh. really stood out to me. Um, it's it, it is it, it's still so the reason that I've brought it up here is that it does tangibly fit under the notion of um, a rogue like mm-hmm. in the sense that it carries the aspects of permadeath um, and it exists beyond the realm of just interestingly it has like an XCOM factor though where it, it exists beyond the realm of just a singular game so Blood Bowl for those at home that don't know is fantasy football, but literally. So like you have little rat men fighting ogres and goblins on a foot on a football pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, it's ridiculous. It's tongue in cheek. It's self-aware. <laughs> it knows what it knows what it is. But <clears throat> um, the nature of the game is that your, your role is as a coach to hire on different players and build different teams. And blood bowl is generally speaking not played over the course of one game it's played over the course of a season so for example blood bowl in my city is a 16 to 8 actually i think we're up to 18 right now an 18 uh an 18 coach season in which we literally have the equivalent of like an nfl uh campaign in which Mm -hmm. we will have round robin play with everybody um and at the end we end up in a playoffs uh in a playoff series where you vie for the championship uh, games, uh, for, to basically to get to what is the equivalent of the Super Bowl, Blood Bowl, and win. And the, and during this entire process, uh, you have like 26 different races, various teams, archetypes, and builds, right? And you can customize each of them individually. Uh, all of your units, these are little miniatures in a tabletop setting, your units level up, gain abilities they die they suffer yeah they die they suffer permanent injuries and 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 this is not over the course of one game it's a course of the entire season right and our seasons last almost half a year that's crazy so yeah to be really clear on that can you name a game like that no i uh (laughs) i cannot exactly it's 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 a it's a really unique thing and 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 the beautiful part about it too is a lot of fun Uh, i found passions in the craft Simply, mm-hmm. sorry, I'm, I'm sifting through them now. Uh, simply because, like, you you buy representative figurines, and theoretically they can be anything. I mean, you can just do it with pennies. We have a guy that prints out with, like, paper, like, literally just prints out on paper <laughs> triangles and then puts them on the field, right? So, yeah. like, there's there's not a high demand for commitment, but, but you there's can. room for it. So, like, for example, I would buy... I would buy pieces of miniatures and then green stuff and mold them together and then paint them. Mm-hmm. specifically to represent like my figures and my units um within the game you create and, kind of a more of emotional attachment as well to the pieces if you put that kind of effort oh for in. sure oh yeah. for sure but um long story short uh yeah it just that game does so many things that no other game is doing right now it, it's it's a tabletop miniatures game but it does so much more differently so, than, so what uh, have been some of the highlights 
um, in your circle of your, you know, your specific um, group of friends or, you know, people that play that, what have been some of the highlight moments from, from some of the seasons or more recent seasons? Well, um, in the most recent season specifically, um, there were a couple of upsets. Uh, I actually, so Blood Bowl also has its own, um, for me, I guess, I, I, I can't speak as much to other people, but for me, some of my highlights were, um, I beat the, I beat a top five ranked player in Florida. He's wow. in our, he's in our league. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then after beating him, I went on to actually win the, uh, the championship for that, for this season, the most recent one. That's um, awesome. that was great. I enjoyed that. Um, my, one of my personal highlights though, my favorite thing that, that happened in the season was watching my friend who I even initially underestimated grow into such a fine and efficient coach that he had me sweating bullets on a dice roll. Like I had a, I had a one in three chance to drop the, uh, the season when he oh, met wow. me in playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just down to, it was, it was down to the wire with him. And, and initially this guy couldn't play for beans. I mean, he was, he was, he's <laughs> atrocious. He was just, I mean, yeah. honestly, and that that's, but that's the thing, right? It's never been about where you start. It's always about where you end up. And his growth was spectacular. And it, it, it like, it, it turned me into a fan of him because I loved seeing that progress. And like, he would, he went from somebody that would complain that everything was unfair and would mm-hmm. discuss how everything was and he would make excuses for his losses or or assume that things were insurmountable and he went from that kind of person to the kind of person that asked questions that that like sought out sessions to grow and practice you know and 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 as as he opened his mind his growth improved um incrementally no i would say exponentially and so that I think was actually out of everything. Like, forget the championship, forget beating the top five player. My favorite part of that season was watching Jeremy Ball uh, grow as a Blood Bowl player inside of our, our local football league because he uh, he's awesome and he deserves it. Yeah, I think I think being able to see someone's personal growth firsthand and even be a part of that is such a a, a great experience and a great feeling, especially for people. Um, I think like you and me that like to try to help people out as best as we can and seeing people succeed is always uplifting and kind of makes me feel better for sure. <laughs> um, and then I, I think one more question I wanted to um, poke your brain on was, um, you know, I think you, I just was curious and sort of outside of Dark Souls, you know, Enter the Gungeon, I know you're really a big fan of Cuphead. Can you think of any games maybe in the past, I don't know, three or four, three or four years that you think are doing something different or kind of pushing the gaming industry as a whole in, in sort of a new direction or something that they've done that particularly stands out to you. Give me a second to really contemplate this one then. So three to four years timer. Ah, breath of the wild, breath of the wild. Breath of the Wild. I think Breath of the Wild, uh, at least. So, of course, this might this might be a more narrow definition. To be fair, mm-hmm. in the sense that, in in the sense that maybe it's it isn't the gaming industry as a whole. It's more Nintendo. But Nintendo is such a large chunk of the gaming industry that you can almost uh, interchange the two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And 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 Breath of the Wild, as a whole, uh, was revolutionary and in my opinion the best uh release in the entire series 
and they made a lot of risky decisions. It wasn't perfect. The game wasn't perfect. I would say I like my criticisms would fall under the dungeons being rather blasé or even um, interchangeable as opposed to previous iterations. Um, but the very I got I got to stop umming and awing. The very notion of Breath of the Wild, that exploration factor, the ability to climb anything you could see, that oh, was yeah. fantastic. And they, they, I, I think a, it was so good that I think a lot of people were waiting for Pokemon to follow suit. Yeah, if that wasn't possible. Yeah, I agree. Um, but long story short, outside of Link's Awakening, outside of Ocarina of Time, it was the only other Zelda game that I can immediately think of that, that's getting a direct sequel. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Oh, sorry. Link to the past, not Link's Awakening. <clears throat> Minor correction there, but <laughs> That's okay. yeah. But it was, and it's the only one to ever have two in the title. You know, like exactly. There, there's no, there's no conflation. We're continuing this storyline. Yeah. So, I, I, I think it was good enough to merit that. In after two decades of Zelda games, that's that's pretty impressive, and. They upped the bar so high that I don't think they can ever go back to a conventional Zelda structure inside mm-hmm. of uh, in inside of at least console. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think one of the things that blew me away at Breath of the Wild is the fact that you've you obtain pretty much all of the all of the resources and all of the different abilities that you can do within the first you know several hours, and then. It's just building upon the different ways and teaching you the different ways you can learn your toolkit and use it to do just so many different things throughout the game. I mean, it's just, it's absurd the types of things that you can do. And you still see clips on Twitter or like new videos of people just doing ridiculous stuff that's just so hilarious to watch. Just like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. And it's still happening. I mean, you know, a couple years after its release. The beauty, the beauty of that game is that it's a game you can finish in 30 minutes or 50 hours, and both are very valid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you could. And yeah. oh, as, as another note, too, while I'm actually on the uh, Legend of Zelda series as a whole, because I did mm-hmm. forget to mention it, games that were revolutionary. Um, so I, I know everyone's going to expect like the, the Ocarina of Times and the so on and so forth. Uh, for me, actually, the, the game that was most revolutionary in that series was... Oracles and Seasons, Ages of Oracles and Ages of I'm Seasons. So, Nobody. I'm so glad you say that because those are some of my favorite games in the series. They're amazing, and they no are. one talks about them. No one, no one did that. No one has ever done that uh, again um, in that ah. time. So when we talk about yeah. revolutionary, like nobody. Okay, Pokemon will release like two versions of the same game. For those that aren't in the in the know how for in the know for like Oracles and Seasons, what these maniacs did is they built two Legend of Zelda games, completely different games, simultaneously, and released both of them. And when you completed both of those completely separate and individual games for, I want to say the Game Boy Advance? Yeah, it was Game Boy Color. It was Color, wow. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Wow. And so when you completed those games, you got a third ending that you had to play out between the two of them. Yeah, like that. No, no other game did that. No other game has done that. Name one other game that's done that. Can you? I can't. I can't. And I think one of the things that really was so cool about those two games is two Zelda games built simultaneously with 
such a unique mechanic, seasons being the fact that you could switch between four seasons and um, Oracle of Ages being the fact that you could switch between past, present, and future, is that those systems were just so different and the ways that you solve puzzles in each of those games varied quite a bit. And what you could do with the core mechanics was just so crazy at times in terms of solving puzzles or figuring out how to get to certain areas. When, when, people, when people talk about uh, games they want to see come back or like be revitalized, I want to see that again, but a modern iteration, not not just an HD remake, but like I want to see that same concept brought to light in some other game, some other mm-hmm. series, something. I want to see that again. And the, the problem is that's such a that's such a hard thing to ask, right? Like no matter what, I think that actually just gets harder and harder to ask of the gaming industry as advancements come along for, you know, as the criteria and the expectations of games rise and the tools exist to build these expansive and thorough games. When we ask, you know, what is a game or what do we expect of a game? It gets harder and harder to ever even consider replicating something like Oracle of Ages and Seasons in a modern context. Yeah, because, I mean, you take any, like, if you were doing it in 3D or whatever, like, imagine trying to do Breath of the Wild, but you literally have to make four different maps for seasons or something. You know, you have four different seasons of how the maps operate. Yeah, can get how do you do Yeah, how crazy. do you do that? <laughs> and, 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 and never mind, then, that you would also then make one for, like, various time periods, release two separate games. Exactly. As non-versions of one another, just two separate ga- How would you do this? You know? I know. Yeah, well, hopefully some studio <laughs> does it, because that would be amazing. <laughs> Um, well, great. And I think on, on that note, we're going to take a, a short little break here and we sure. will we're going to come back talking about our um, sort of delving into esports a bit and also sort of outlooks and mentality. So we'll be back in a little bit. everyone welcome back um, to wholesome transmissions we're here with soul and um sec- starting out our second half where we typically talk about esports and video game discussion a little bit we're gonna kind of delve right in soul with um, sort of your background into esports and i guess most notably your involvement with with the smash 4 scene so i guess as sort of a background you know how I know you said you've kind of been playing video games your whole life, and I imagine you've probably been playing them competitively a bit. So how did you kind of enter into the Smash scene? Where did that kind of start? Well, weirdly enough, actually, um, my competitive transition started very late comparatively to the majority of people. I I mean, I played Mm -hmm. games, and I played them passionately, but to enter into a competitive scene, the first time I did that was, I want to say, five years ago when I was, I'm old, by the way, 25, when I was 25. (laughs) Um, Yeah. 24, 25, something like that. And so um, I, the way I got into the scene is actually a bit of a story on its own. And I suppose that that's kind of the point of a podcast to tell such a thing. Yes, absolutely. So I was pretty morbidly depressed before I punched into the FGC and the esports scene. Um, Mm -hmm. They were, they cleared a lot of depression for me because they gave me a sense of purpose And uh, that purpose was to help others and provide like, okay, I mean, maybe that's an arrogant way to look at it, but I enjoyed the notion of expanding the character's meta and inspiring others and pushing people uh, 
to not simply just give up or accept conventional wisdoms. And so the, the thing about the FGC as a whole is that when I broke into it, I was pretty depressed. I was down to, I think, $5 for two days for food. And, and I, I, and I, and that, and I'm serious, nothing in the fridge, nothing to eat and don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm not really conventionally wise, but I am cocksure and fairly arrogant. So <laughs> I, okay. uh, <clears throat> I, uh, put my last $5 into, cause I was like, I play smash. I have a 95% win ratio on for glory. I'm it, you know? Um, so <laughs> I, I dropped the five cause I was like, well, listen, you know, uh, Maybe I can eat for two days. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I showed up. So I showed up to a local gaming tournament. Was this uh, in Florida then? Still? Yep. This was literally in Gainesville. I showed okay. up to a local gaming tournament at RU Game, and it was being run by Hungrybox. Turns out. <laughs> oh my god! But 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 I was never into melee, right? Like yeah. I was never. I wasn't a competitive player. I didn't know who the hungry. Like I, I barely knew who Hungrybox was. Uh, and so I walked up, I said, oh, hey, you're running the tournament. That's that's great. And he's like, yeah, I go. So so what do you do like for a living outside of like <laughs> tournament? And he goes, this is my <laughs> this is this is what I do for a living. And I and, and, and I, I want you to pick. OK, so I know Hungry Box isn't the most approachable person for a lot of people. I love the guy. But yeah, imagine the look on his face when I respond with, oh, cool. You know what? Maybe I'll do that, too. <laughs> just, just a complete a complete rookie walks into the scene like no experience my first tournament ever and i just walk up to hungry box and i'm like oh you do that i could probably do that too oh my god <laughs> that is that is wild so you play in the tournament yeah so i sit down and i'm playing in the tournament i i do uh, average i mean it wasn't even great you know it wasn't even like no one's really a, like a golden god when they start out. I didn't yeah. do great. I did okay. It was like 2-2 two, two or whatever. But in my second round, my second round, uh, I end up fighting the world's number one. Gainesville has rep, by the way. Gainesville will always have rep. Gainesville is an underrated gym. Um, uh -huh. my, my second round at a local 12-man tournament is uh, Rio. Yeah. So, you know, no big deal. Just the number one Ike main in the world. Uh, <laughs> in a tournament run by the number one melee player in the world. So... Just just in your local 12-man tournament in, in Gainesville. And so um, I sit there, and I'm playing him, and I take a game. Like, I take a game, and it's a close set, and it's competitive. And he, he, he sits there, because, like, he vaguely knew me in, in, my, in my college days, because we were in the same rec room. Yeah. Right? And I would be playing Pokemon in the rec room while he was playing Brawl, which was not, mm -hmm. my, was not my jam. Um, but he's like... Hey, uh, actually, I I know you. How long have you been doing this? Where have you been? And I go, this is my first time. He goes, this is not your first time. I go, this is my first time. And he goes, you have some serious potential. Let me train you. Yeah. And I go, yes, please. And from yeah. that point, from that point, from that point forward, like, and and he's like, come out, come out Friday. And and honestly, I said yes, and I was intending to, and then I kind of like, you know, I I. I I flipped back and forth on it, kind of folded, waffled a little bit. Like, am I going to go to the tournament? Am I not going to go to another tournament? Um, I know, but I, that was a really hungry two days. <laughs> Never mind that, though. Uh, I, you know, am I going to go to the tournament? Am I not going to go to the tournament Friday? Um, and he's like, he calls me up like 20 minutes before tournament starts. He's like, where are you? And I go, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I, I, I don't know. I was just having some second thoughts. Like, no, I'm, I'm picking you up. I was like, oh, 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 okay, uh, sure. Dude comes and gets me drives me to the tournament and forces me to play <laughs> and um that's awesome yeah this this is literally the only reason any of this 
the way, like the the arm stuff, the the smash, the, all of this, mm-hmm. be- be- because of because of that. And um, we sit down after the tournament. It was another mundane performance for me. Two two, I guess. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe three two, but probably like two two. Like nothing nothing phenomenal, but it was fun and I enjoyed myself. And he sits down and it's like two a.m. and he says, "So, you want to come by my house and just train for?" until the sun comes up and I go, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> and from that day forward, I put in uh, 60 hour work weeks into learning the game. That's crazy. Um, for, wow. I think like four months, at least five months, at least. And then I think it scaled back to 40 after I really had my fundamentals down. And uh, word started spreading between like our work and our progress. Uh, Rio and I, we, we were an unstoppable duo back in that day, at least. I mean, not so much these days. We, we don't, uh, we're not partners uh, at, in this day. And I still wish Tommy the best. I, I love the guy to death, but, you know, <clears throat> that's a separate story for another time. The point being, um, I guess word started picking up about our prowess and what was going on in our scene and how we were repping. And yeah. um, I, my reputation was growing. And um, I... We, uh, Rio and I were gotten a hold of by MVG alongside our, our local community leaders. That, that's the Overstreet brothers. Um, mm-hmm. Hell, Domo Overstreet still works with them to this day. But they, they got a hold of us and they were interested and they wanted to see that we could pull in the views, you know? And yeah. so they, they put us on their stream and they wanted to see that they, they're like, okay, we want 300 views. You know, can you do 300? And we sat down. And uh, we streamed, pulled 700. Wow. And they were like, wow. Yeah, they were like, wow. Like, you know, they, they couldn't believe. And, and it, the number was rising. The number didn't stop rising until we stopped streaming. That's crazy. Um, and so, you know, we by, by, more than, by more than any margin cleared what they wanted for us and uh, got officially sponsored. And we pushed into um, CEO in doubles. And that was, I think, where our journey kind of... Well, at least specifically mine, I think Rio was already well known. You know, he was always great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he still is to this day. He's still a better Smash player than me to this day, to be honest with you. I think his fundamentals are just out of this world. His reads are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But um, we sat down for CEO 2015, and our doubles team was Little Mac and Ike, and we got laughed out of the building until we placed, like, top 13. Until we beat, we beat like, Nick Riddle and True Blue. We put... We put a lot of people in the dirt. Um, we, oh, what was it? We were in friendlies playing with Mr. R and Void. Mm-hmm. Was it Void? It was, it was either Void or another notable uh, Sheik main. But we were in friendlies fighting double Sheik as Little Mac Ike, and we were holding it. You know what I mean? Wow, and pe- that's that's and, awesome. And we introduced... We introduced to the meta footstool mechanics. Not not as in like they, they didn't know it existed, but like we we had a vision about doubles that doubles was about footstool. Okay. Because what would so we would set things up, right? Like my my throws, his throws, they set up footstools and he would always be there. He it would be like a punch into footstool into KO punch, guaranteed follow-up. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So you and could he, you could set up crazy combos with that type. Right. And, and and nobody nobody followed nobody followed up or punished as hard as Little Mac could yeah. inside the meta game. He Absolutely. was fast, so he could get there, and his raw 
power and damage output was solid. So mm-hmm. Tommy would basically be the sword and I would be the shield inverse to what you would expect in that situation. And Ike would go in and try to create safety or pick up grabs and throw them back to me. But like the second he got interrupted or caught, I would be in there to punish the in lag. That's awesome. That's such a smart move. <laughs> so so and- in, in, in short, right? Our, our, we have, jeez, uh, I don't even think I actually talked about this, but like by that point in my career, I was so dedicated to East. Like, I, I can't believe we broke out there because I probably shouldn't have even been at that tournament. Well, that's um, that, that I was going to say. This was the, the tournament right after your, your motorcycle crash, right? It was two weeks before. Two okay. weeks. Be- so, so for the audience that doesn't know my history, two weeks before that tournament, um, I was riding my motorcycle. I, I'd been called in on a day off from MVG, and this is a gripe that I'll, I'll always probably carry with them, but whatever. Uh, I, their then-manager, uh, Cynthia Bonet, uh, demanded that I come into work and vaguely mm-hmm. threaten my position as an esports player if I didn't. Uh, and I, you know, I told her, like, hey, I'm out of town. This was sick. Yeah. They didn't, she didn't care. She didn't care at all. And so, so, long story short, I got on my motorcycle and I tried to make it in uh, two weeks ago. I before that point, I tried to make it into a stream for MVG, and mm-hmm. I don't know what happened because I have I have retrograde amnesia. I know I w- I know I remember little things. Um, I was on a straightaway. It was sunny. There was no traffic. My my motorcycle started swerving. I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why. I, I'm I'm not a reckless person. I was going the speed limit. The speed limit just happened to be 75. So you know, you're going fast. You're going fast. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going 75 miles per hour. Um, and the bike is entering death wobbles. If you've ever been on a skateboard, you know what I'm talking about. And, um, yeah. And I know that it's going to crash and I have to make a decision. Hardest decision I ever made in my life. I, I, I remember jumping off of my motorcycle into the median so that I hit dirt instead of pavement. Um, and I, I woke up in an ambulance that, and I woke up in an ambulance and, um, and they, they, they let me know immediately, like, they let me know, like, I, because they, they, I didn't remember anything at that point. It was, um, I had retrograde amnesia. Uh, eventually, the, the scans would continue. I had retrograde amnesia, a concussion, uh, a fractured spine. The, my, my, like, literally a fractured spine. Yeah. Um, and my head was cut open to the skull in two places through the helmet. Oh, my God. Wow. So, uh, Yeah. I was not, I, I, it was like a coin flip that I was probably supposed to die there. Like, I think there are, I think there are equal, uh, equal opportunities in which I just die in that position, right? In, in alternate realities or multiverses. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, <clears throat> one, that was the moment when I knew I never wanted to go back to surge tech when I got that hospital bill and I saw yeah. what like the state of our healthcare was in this country, which oh, that's another topic for another, but it disenfranchised me from that. And I, I, I cr- like, I didn't want to spend a night in that hospital. I, I crawled out of that hospital wing to my friends who then escorted me to my own home. They gave me a neck brace and IV drip and like uh, a CT scan and they charged me for all of that. Oh, and some stitches and staples. And for all of that, they charged me $12,000. Yeah. I was there for three hours. They charged. Ah, it's crazy. It's, yeah, so, it's absolutely insane. <laughs> so uh, long story short, 
just two weeks after this, and I, I'm still I'm carrying the fractured spine. My face is stitched up. They they called me in the commentary. They they said they said I looked like a Joker villain or a Batman. <laughs> Sorry, like and they, they no they were right uh, for the first like for the first week when I was at CEO like bef- for the first week before CEO I also had like road rash all down the right side of my face somehow yeah. like some some equivalent of it. I look like Zuko from Avatar. It was crazy. <laughs> um, but. In spite of all of that, I still showed up. Yeah, I still showed up to the tournament, and it, it ended up being my big uh, breakout because not only did like that happen, and it put Team Black and Blue—that was our name—it put us on the map um, in singles. I I was like last hit, last stock with Nairo, who at the yeah. time was the undisputed number two in the world, mm-hmm. and nobody thought Little Mac could do anything. And and that night when I went to, um, I went to the computers. Uh, I went to the computer. I'm sorry, my laptop, and I looked at. Uh, I looked at Reddit for the Smash, and right at the top was uh, was um, Soul taught me to believe again, and I cried. I actually I like mean, I cried. Uh, sorry, I, I'm, I'm I'm getting like I'm cracking up a little bit here. <laughs> meant so, I mean, to, to, I, to do that for somebody meant something to me. Exactly, and I think it shows so much because up to this point, you'd been I mean you'd been putting in 60 hour weeks 40 hour weeks into this game and you've been dedicating so much of yourself to this and as you kind of stated before it it was something that gave you like purpose and direction and sort of helped you out of your depression and sort of gave you something to do and Mm -hmm. it just kind of shows how dedicated you were and how much it meant to you to go to a tournament after you have i mean you know like a fatal accident where you very well fatal yeah near fatal and it just it shows so much and i think it also kind of emphasizes how much a community you know video game or otherwise how much a community can mean to someone and how important that is um, to everyone in terms of getting through life yeah so i guess i mean i guess one of the things then that i want to ask is what changed in sort of your outlook after the motorcycle crash then in terms of how you i mean because i know that something like that i think undoubtedly changes a person so what you know what kind of changed for you well i stopped fearing death that was part of it (laughs) yeah i mean i'm I'm not yeah no I'm, i'm you know it's i'm not even really cutting a joke here i just no, um I, I, I agree you know it's kind of like okay so like we we like to sit around right this is I, i'm more of a philosophical person by the way i in fact if anything if there's anything i want to do post esports career it's probably teach philosophy in college or something like those uh-huh. but i digress we always can hypothesize how we would react in an emergency we can say like oh if somebody put a gun like pulled a gun in a store i would tackle them what i mean or i would do this or i would do that but like yeah. you don't really nobody truly knows these answers until they're in that situation and for me i always thought that i would be so afraid of death and i remember when i was flying through the air the one like that's another that was an emotion i was flying through the i was sure that i was dead like i i was very positive this these were the last moments of my life i had done what i had done and Honestly, I was at I was at peace. It was fine. It was okay. You know, I was all right. And so, I always thought that I would be horrendously cowardice in the face of death. And I suppose perhaps maybe there's still room to be, but mm-hmm. that 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 was a thing that changed about my outlook. 
And if we're talking in regards to esports, I don't know that it did. The only thing it changed was that it cut loose the safety nets. Because when I always had, I was, like I said, I was a high honors surgical technologist student. Uh, mm. I had been clinically around Gainesville in operating rooms, you know? So I, I had a prospective future. I had options. But when I, when I got that medical bill and I saw that, I, it, it felt like surgical technology was no longer my way in which I could people. Mm-hmm. Because I, I didn't, although I appreciate the value of saving lives and it is necessary and it is important, I didn't want to indebt lives. Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, and so I, I called up, I called up my, uh, my, the director of my program and I said, hey, I'm gone. I'm out of here. I, I don't want anything to do with this. And from that point forward, I, that was that was my schooling right there. I said no, and I said I want esports. I'm I want to. I this is what I want to do. And then I went to CEO. Mm-hmm. So I I had no safety net, and I I knew it, and I played like it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And that isn't I something. <laughs> that, that isn't something I'm necessarily advising to you out there. For the record, <laughs> I don't want anyone going oh. broken on the street because they tried to emulate that. I'm just saying that's that's how my outlook changed, you know. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think that you have to you always have to weigh like your options in terms of providing, you know, providing financially, doing jobs just because they give you money, and then also doing stuff that is risky and is something that you're passionate about and something that might bring you joy that isn't a, a clear cut nine to five job path. And you know, I really applaud you for for doing, you know, what, what really helped you and, and pushed you past, you know, um, in terms of, uh, an avenue that you felt comfortable with and felt, um, happy doing. Um, and I guess one of the things I wanted to kind of ask then is, um, and this is sort of a, uh, a little bit of a, a changed subject, but I remember in one of your videos you talk about, and in sort of a philosophical way, talking about the four stages of yes. your, your gameplay. Um, yeah. The four so, stages of competitive growth. And this is, by the way, people, some people got mad at me because they're like, that's not your idea. And I'm like, no, it's, it's literally an extension of ideas that came before. And it's, I, I think it, I think, it, I believe it's been espoused before mm-hmm. in, in that book that was written by Daigo. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I, I've never at all for the record claimed that these are exclusively my ideas or that I'm, you know, that I am a philosophical genius that is bringing <laughs> new concepts. But I do think that it's an important thing to understand. Yeah. Yeah. The, the four competitive stages. Do you? Would you like me to refresh them for the for those at home? Yeah, and I think one of the reasons why I want to bring this up is because talking about like your dedication to the game, talking about your motorcycle crash and then CEO, and I think it's really interesting because your take on playing Smash Bros. competitively and playing games competitively um, from our discussion in the first half seems you know very mentality focused in terms of youth. You're not just about the skill or mind games, but you think about how the game and the things that you do in the game um, and the way that you play games impacts a player and their outlook and their mental state, um, you know, and how important that is. So I think that this is a really fascinating topic. So why don't you refresh our listeners then sure. with, with the four stages? Well, just to, just to um, add to that thought as well, mentality is more than the physical muscle memory of your inputs. Mm-hmm. Mental, mentality is more of the game than your actual controls, knowledge, and I'm sorry, knowledge and time. Because the biggest thing for me, like, because you, you, you separated 
the barrier between mentality and skill and mentality is a skill. It's something oh, it you is. develop and it's something you grow. It is. So, I think that people don't value mentality as much as they should though. They, they think of it as um, I, sort of an afterthought. I put it at 60-40 in favor of mentality for what matters in regards to the game. 60% to mentality, 40% to everything else. I, I mm-hmm. genuinely believe that. But I, yeah. So the, the four stages basically of... <clears throat> the, the four stages of competitive growth are as follows. So you have on the bottom rung of the ladder, you have unconscious incompetence. These are the people that think that they're great blame everything on everyone else and <laughs> they don't get results. They don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the problem with this rung of the ladder is uh, because these people exist in a realm in which they make excuses and don't understand why they're at fault. They also have tr- the most trouble growing out of any of these categories. And so the people that act this way and stay this way. So they, they, they tend to stay categor- categorically in the fourth stage which is unconscious incompetence. They don't know they're bad, but they're bad. Mm-hmm. And then there's conscious incompetence as the third rung on the ladder. And conscious incompetence effectively is a knowledge. It's, it's, okay. where we, it's where we begin to descend from the peak of incompetence down the, chart, uh, down the Dunning-Kruger chart uh, in mm-hmm. which we push into uh, an acknowledgement, I'm bad, but I know I'm bad. Yeah. And I want to improve. And so you know that you have room to grow and you acknowledge personal fault and you accept personal responsibility for the outcomes and results of the matches you partake in. Mm -hmm. And those people are probably where most starting players, anybody that goes over like two, two in a tournament is probably somewhere in that ballpark, right? Like that's that it, it's almost required for growth, right? Exactly. Yeah. Then the the next rung of the ladder is actually um, conscious competence. Conscious competence uh, is that you you're you're good. You've improved, um, but you have to think very actively to select the correct options. You have to. You have there's like there's a buffer right between mm-hmm. your thoughts and your actions, and you're always kind of you're you're analyzing and you're going over these these option selections, but the problem here is that that analysis slows you down. So what 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 happens is you have good choices, but your execute like you have good knowledge and reasonable choices, but your execution can be slightly subpar to what like the top echelon of yeah because you're you're weighing those choices and you're analyzing those things because you have to actively think hard otherwise you revert into those negative habits of unconscious uh, i'm sorry of conscious incompetence mm-hmm. um, and the last last stage is the the pinnacle of <laughs> i mean what we kind of view as the top players in games right so the the final stage and that, now mind you this is um this is like actualization so nobody actually stays in this state at all times um it's a it's a take the there are terms for it in there are many different terms for it in many different places bruce lee called it flowing like water um many people refer to it as flow state yep but what 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 it is what it is it's unconscious uh I, i i refer to it as unconscious competence unconscious competence cuts the middleman you're now selecting like you're now selecting the correct options 
without having to weigh them. It is mm -hmm. so ingrained into your muscle memory through the depth of analysis that you've put in the stage before it that you simply do. You don't think you do, and you do correctly. And so that's the final stage. Even top players, they, they can be there. No one is there all the time. Something happens, something throws you off. Mentality-wise, you descend back into stage three or even two. It yeah. happens. Now, when you were playing Smash 4 competitively, was this sort of a, a thing that you were aware of? Or when you were playing the game, were these sort of mentality things um, a focus for you? You know, because I know reflectively it's easy to, to think about because I can think back as well in my arms career of like, you know, oh, I can see these concepts work out. But while you were playing yourself, was mentality a focus for you? Mentality was a primary focus for me, and it was something that I struggled with. For those at home, by the way, don't ever feel bad for being frustrated or, you know, um, having trouble controlling those feelings, right? Now, yeah. that's not an excuse to go home and throw, like go out to your next tournament and throw your controller. You're responsible for <laughs> your actions. But to be clear, like being frustrated, being disappointed, feeling the bite of loss and the sting of defeat, like that's human. There's nothing to feel bad about there. But what you have to do is make sure that you reason with that bitterness and recognize that every second you spend angry is every second you could be spending analyzing your loss. And there's no time like directly after a loss to analyze it because that's when the memory is clearest. That's when you are freshest and you yeah. can make the most accurate assessments. So it, it became like, d did I hate losing? Sure. Everyone hates losing to a degree. <laughs> Like, I, I had some disappointing losses, you know? Lots of them. I mean, I played play Little Mac, let's be honest. But, <laughs> yeah. But, like, it always, it would always trigger in my head, um, you don't have time to be angry. Hmm. And that's, 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 what, that's what would kind of keep me on track, if anything did, uh, yeah. when it came to putting my focus where it mattered and staying open to growing because the second you start cutting off those options, with cutting off that analysis, cutting off that understanding, you're done. You're, you, you, you will stagnate or drop. Yeah, exactly. And, and mentality is always, it's also a, something that you always have to keep coming back to and addressing because I mean, I, I think for me, at least when, when in playing competitive games, you do hit plateaus where you're not as consciously thinking about mentality, even if it's still a focus for you and you kind of hit those walls and you're not trying to analyze and you're just kind of relying on um, muscle memory and, and things that worked in the past. And that's when you'll hit these walls. And I think at some points, you know, there are those players that will just leave the scene or, or stop playing when they hit a certain wall. And I think um, the true testament to a, a person who a great player is someone who understands I need to start um, analyzing my gameplay or making those conscious decisions again to, to, to move, push past that. And I guess one of the questions I wanted to ask you then sort of going off of the, the focus on mentality was the one video you, you made about, um, you know, shedding your ego and, um, removing yourself from the, the public, um, the PGR rankings. And I just kind of want to get your take on sort of you know, kind of explain that time period for you. To be clear, I at no point know if I was viable for any of them. So I'm not saying... Well, 
I, I just don't know because I, I think it's important to be humble and to be honest about this. Absolutely. I, I don't want to sit there and say, yeah, I was going to be top. I have no I have no clue. I don't I'm I don't even know if my statement I don't even know if they cared. They probably would have just thrown <laughs> me up there if I was anyhow. Right. Well, but no, I, I so for a while, my mentality had begun to shift to where I presented my identity and my results and my recognition that I had earned and garnered. So the, the mistake I made or that I, that I had been falling into was that I put my identity, like I was known as the number one Mac. I was known as the, the best of what I did. And at least like for, for little Mac at least. And so the mistake I made mm-hmm. was investing my identity into that claim. And yeah. it became, this is who I am. And that led to arrogance. And I realized it and I wanted to cut that out of my life. And so I took myself off of local, I took myself off of every, every PR. It wasn't just PGR. I I wouldn't let them put me in locally. I wouldn't let them put me in nationally. I wouldn't let, like, I didn't want it because I I wanted my, I wanted my results to just speak for themselves, but I didn't care if I was high or low. What I didn't want to do anymore was play for a PGR. I wanted to play for Mac. I wanted to play for myself. And I wanted to play for my passion for gaming. And for that matter, I wanted to play for the people that believed in me, supported me. And I didn't want to center the idea of that play being around just where I am in my PGR or in my PR or any of that. Well, and again, I don't think of it like I under, I appreciate you you making the statement about being humble and the fact that you didn't know if you were going to be on these. But I think that when it comes down to that personal decision of what you just said, of you wanted to focus on the things that really did matter when playing a competitive game, of pushing a character or pushing yourself, not necessarily getting caught up in, and what is very easy to do in any community is getting caught up in your results and your placement and your reputation because especially uh, you know in recent years with um with how accessible social media and all these stats are um it's very easy to get caught up in caring about where you place in the community and what people think about you and honestly at the at a certain point you have to come to that fact of there's going to be people that are going to really support you and there's going to be people that really hate you and you can't do anything about it. You can just be yourself. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's a, that's a thing about me too. I, I am. Well, first of all, let me, I, cause I, I, I had that puck. First of all, can you really say you're humble if you're the one saying it? <laughs> one, but two, <laughs> right? Like, I, I don't know that I get to say that. Cause I, I, it's, it's, it's almost um, a paradox for me to claim that I'm being <laughs> humble. Right. Well, what your, your statement said basically was that you were doing it for you because you noticed that caring about these types of things was kind of being a bad influence on your, your well-being, right? And, and that yeah. your decision to withdraw was, was a, a decision you made for your betterment. And I think it probably ended up, you know, you performing better in the game by making that conscious decision. You know, I, I don't entirely know. It performed better. Um, in the game for it or not, mm-hmm. I guess partially because I stopped keeping track, right? But, yeah. But also, it it was nice to keep my focus on what mattered because at the end of the day, it, it was happiness. Happiness is what mattered. My happiness is what mattered. And I never wanted to lose the sense of myself by diluting it and breaking it down into something as binary as just my results. That's, to me, that would be the biggest shame because I am not my results. Mm-hmm. 
I am my passion. I am I I I I am the result of all of my feelings, my philosophies, my ideals, you know, and even when I win or when I lose, I am just more than my results. And that's something that I think some players struggle. Struggle. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that is the biggest difficult thing for I think higher end top players to get over. Yeah. Or if they do at all. And some people actually spiral down into depression if their results decline or if they just don't go where they want them to because it becomes a personal failure on their part. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, we, I certainly saw that firsthand in the arms community and I've seen that in a lot of other places. And I think that it's just so important to come to that realization. And we talk about this on the show. Uh, I think we've talked about this topic a couple of times is that you're more than just wins and losses. You're more than just, you know, these, these binary dis, like stats that you can gather because people are these messy, complex creatures with desires and passions and, and loves and, um, and you know, that's what you are. And, you know, I, I think that also you should, you should really only care about the people, um, in your life that respect that and recognize that in you. And I think that's where another, you know, we talk about caring about your reputation. You know, you should only care about the people that value you for all of you. You know, you shouldn't worry about the people who just look at your wins and losses and say, wow, he's bad or good, you know? Yeah, no, that was the thing too for me. I, um, it was never, how would I put this? It's funny because for me, I wouldn't define my esports career by my victories. I'd define it by the people. And specifically, I've always wanted, I think, and we all do. I think this is something that everyone on a primal level understands. We want to be understood, you know? Mm -hmm. And so... For me, I always wanted to be more than just the guy that presses the buttons for your little Mac. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I I have a lot of philosophical ideas. I I have a lot of passions, and I like to share them. I I'm an illustrator. I was a drummer. You know what I mean? I was a guitarist. I've done a lot of different things, and and like I'll even. I, like I would share politics on my page, right? And 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 I would get the don't talk politics, not more politics, just play games. And I go, no, politics affect me. I'm a person. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm a person, and this is the world I live in. And I can understand if you're burnt out because I get it. It's frustrating and it's exhausting and it's difficult mm-hmm. to constantly have this barrage of political nonsense pushed in your face. But also, you know, it's not going to get better unless we fight against it, unless we push back, unless we actually talk specifically about the issues and resolve. And so I would I would sit there and I would post things uh, politically and people would be like, well, why are you doing that? I'd be like, listen, you don't have to follow. I will never be a person that cares about my account. I to this day, I mean, I've made I've made decisions I knew would result in losing like 100 plus followers. I've sided with people. Uh, that I believed were on the right side of history and the right side of the community in, mm-hmm. in the face of, you know, angering sections of my quote-unquote fan base. And honestly, I'm better off without those people in the first place. Those people didn't care about me. Those people just cared about my Mac and my buttons. And yeah. it, it's cool to take inspiration from what someone does, but if you don't give a, if you don't give a about like who they are as an individual or you don't draw from who they are personally, then it's, it's just buttons. It's mechanical. Who cares? Thank you.
uh, and I, I and I can't be I can't be that mechanical button press for anyone else either, for that matter. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, and that quality about you, though, is I mean, one of the personal reasons why um you know I for me I don't really look up to a lot of people, but you're one of those people that has made a, a big impact for me personally just because of that fact of you understand your own worth and you're very good at a lot of things and you don't care about what people think about you other than the people that really do matter and their opinions matter, um, which is, which is great. And, you know, and that's why, that's certainly why we wanted to, to have you on to, you know, talk about this and, and just again, highlight how important mentality is and how, especially in the world of esports, and, uh, and, and you just can't get caught up with your losses or your wins in that matter. So, yeah, well, I mean, Sol, thank you so much for for coming on to our show and sitting down with me to talk about these topics. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, and for anyone out there, feel free to give, uh, let people know where they can find you um, and give any shout out that you want. Yeah, sure. Uh, so for those that don't know, uh, again, my tag is Sol. My current sponsor and people I really believe in genuinely, not just shoveling you wear, is Noble Esports. These guys are great. Thanks for good wordplay, actually, Noble Soul. Uh, you can you can catch me on Twitter or um, Twitch, I guess. My Twitch is twitch.tv slash fight soul fight. My Twitter is um, at soulreth. That's S-O-L-R-E-T-H. But, you know, obviously, just do what you want, man. You're a grown adult. You can make a decision <laughs> on whether or not you want to hit up my media. Uh, you've been, you have been, to be fair, kind of warned that I am opinionated and I do post. So... That's up so. to you, but, <laughs> but for but for those of you that, that that do come come by, cool. That's awesome. Happy to have you. Uh, happy to have you on board. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you. you. And um, no, th- again, th- th- thank you, thank you, Pineapple, for hosting this discussion <laughs> and and for uh, just in general um, asking these questions and holding this topic, like these yeah. topics. It's it's been fantastic. I. I think it's great that you're doing this. And um, I, I just, I guess I hope that your base enjoys the day and you know, we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're definitely going to try to continue to, to discuss, you know, deeper and deeper topics as best as we can with, with our guests and continuing to reach out to other communities and um, just kind of recognizing the fact that these topics aren't necessarily something that we bring up a lot and, but they still matter way more than people give them credit for. So um, we're really, you know, again, that's what we're trying to do here. And um, for, for our listeners, again, you can find our show really where most uh, podcasts are streamed, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, um, other places. And you can follow us on Twitter at Wholesome FM for more information. And we'll have more um, guests like Soul on the show in the future. So thank you so much, yeah. Soul. And, and, for our and actually, actually on that note, by the way, yeah. Sorry for interrupting, I know. No, no. If you ever do want a second round of this, let me know. This was really pleasant. This was this was actually something that I was really happy to do and glad that I came on to 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 talk with you. You were a great host. I appreciate you. Well, thank you so much. And we will uh, may very well take you up on that offer. So by all means it's it's out there on the table. Awesome. Well, have a great day, everyone, and we will see you in the next episode. Wholesome Transmissions is hosted by me, Pineapple Freak, and Radio. Our editors are Radio and myself, and our producer is Radio. 
Music used on the show is provided courtesy of Scrimps, and our logo is designed by Griffical. Special thanks to Soul for coming on today's show. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a school, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. Charles Swindle